0: God very much. Jeremiah is always good stand in divorce, uh, especially when he prays out, and uh, that's a wonderful guy. I think I'm on down here, guys. I'm not sure about his talent, but he um, does a wonderful job, and so thank you, and thank you for those who serve with him, uh, especially not only for your talent, for your gifts, um, but for your heart. I mean, it shows through. Um, Our worship ministry is not just uh, performers, it's not just worship leaders, you guys really are lead worshipers and it shows, Uh, you show us what it means to worship and your service choir too is an act of worship and it makes all the difference when you're giving this not for a job, not for a task, not for a duty, but when you're giving it to God Uh, and thank you for standing up in front of us every week and doing that. Jeremiah You may not know, uh, came to us a few years ago, a member of the Reed family. That was a strike against him already. Uh, But in fact, all three Reeds were up here today, all three children uh, Heather and uh, Matthew and Jeremiah. Uh, Matt was on the drums, Heather was on vocals. And uh, we love y'all's family. But when Jeremiah came, we weren't sure about him. And uh, Trey had a big breakfast, a choir music ministry breakfast in the fellowship hall one saturday and decided hey you know what you know we're going to ask jeremiah to pray and they did they said you know jeremiah would you mind to give the blessing for our meal this morning and the strangest thing happened i wrote down what he said here in that meal i told you some of you this on wednesday so uh he said he opened his mouth and just with all the passion in his heart he said lord i hate buttermilk Trey looked around like, uh uh-oh, you know. He said, uh, Lord, I hate lard. We were all getting concerned at that point. The whole choir was looking around. It was a a, a big problem. And he, he didn't stop. He finally said, and Lord, you know I hate raw white flour. And everybody was really worried at this point. What have we got here? He must take after his dad, as they said. And so... And finally, he said, but Lord, I love these warm buttermilk biscuits. (laughs) Amen, right? What a prayer, Jeremiah. Thank you for that. That's not a true story, but the the message is this. (laughs) I think you get it. Uh, Sometimes God mixes things up in our lives. And they might be times that we hate and times of pain and trial and suffering and uncertainty. But God has a finger that runs through the whole thing. And there is a power behind it. And the power is not our own power. If it were left up to us, uh, we would just suffer there and linger there and bemoan our state of weakness, of hardship, of pain. But all the time, God is mixing something for good, for ultimate good, for his glory with a purpose. And that's where we come to today in uh, the book of Ephesians, where we've been for a few weeks Now we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to turn in your Bible there, um, look with me. There'll be some other texts we look at today as well. If you don't have a Bible, these words will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And those are on the table in the back as you leave today. Uh, Very nice copies, uh, great translation. There's no cost to you. We want you to have that. If you need that, You take it, and if you need somebody to stand with you and set you on the right path with God's word, you email me, you'll see my email in the bulletin, call me, I'd be honored to sit with you and um, start you on that journey, okay? The Ephesians were in the same condition that we are all in sometimes. They were uncertain, you know this, we've talked about this. Were they good enough? Were they equal to the people of God, the historic people of God, the Jews? Did their salvation really count? Was it lasting? Because they knew their past. They knew their sinfulness. They knew their outsider status. Uh, Was this the real deal? Could they press on? Could they persevere to the end with what God had given them? And so as we open this text today, the Apostle Paul, who dearly loved them, is about to pray for them. And you'll see he opens up with a prayer almost and after just a few short words, he stops and he backs off. And one last time, he gives them some assurance of what God has done, that God is big enough, that God is strong enough to carry them through. And he does this in, in a way that showcases his own weakness and what God has done through him. And so let's look at this together We'll read beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's about to pray. In, fa- in fact, if you look on down to verse 14, if you've got your Bible open, Look on down to verse 14, he continues. It's it's as if all that we're about to read never happened. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, bow the knee. He's about to bend the knee in prayer before God, but he breaks off for just a moment. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by Revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets now by the Spirit. Let's stop for just a moment. What's he even talking about there? He's talking about the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation the blood of Christ is not limited it is not restricted to that one segment known as the Jewish people God's historic holy people that, that, that it is spread to, the, gent- to and the Gentiles are simply everyone else that God's salvation is available to everyone else this was a mystery before because it was concealed And in fact, in the Old Testament, if somebody did want to come to God, to draw near to him, to be uh, close with him, they would have had to convert to Judaism, to become a Jew, to follow their practices and rituals and uh, all their settings and days. And Paul is saying, but now that Christ has come, there's something different. The mystery, a mystery has been opened up. Something concealed has been revealed And now the gospel is available to all. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, verse 7, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power to me. Get that here, to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable there means untraceable, undetectable. We might think of it as unsearchable as as endless, the endless riches of Christ, which is uh, absolutely true. But what is in view here uh, is it's undetectable, it's imperceptible. Well, it's it's there, but we can't we can't see it until Paul is preaching this through Christ. He's he's doing this and to bring to light verse nine to for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, that's you and me, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold means many folds, many sides. I mean, it's it's, just, it's huge, it's vast. The manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is the spiritual realm. What does that mean? It's not talking about rulers and authorities like presidents and premiers on the earth. It's talking about something else. These are spiritual powers. The rulers and authorities... in the heavenly places of the spiritual realm. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. If you were a Gentile, and the man who had preached the gospel to you, the one through whom salvation had come, was in prison now, and in danger of execution, you might be thinking, is this real? Has God got my back? And I think the answer here is yes. But how can we trust God's power when we feel so weak and so frail, when we're suffering we're in hardship? There are four pictures here I want us to look at quickly. The first is this. We see a picture of the unexpected power in Paul's situation. There is an unexpected power in Paul's situation here. Look here, uh, something very strange happens in the opening two verses of this. In fact, there are three things that connect, uh, that, that connect to Paul's imprisonment that should surprise us here. First of all, who is he a prisoner of? According to scripture here, he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. We might wanna say, no, he's not. He's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. Or, or in fact, the powers really behind his imprisonment where the religious leaders Uh, he's in a jail guarded by Roman soldiers Uh, but Paul says while all of that may be true uh, there is a person in my imprisonment there is a person in my pain and that person is Jesus Christ have you ever suffered have you ever been through hard times have you ever been through pain that you thought would never end I want you to realize this morning that when the Christian suffers that way, there is a person in it with you. You might say, I never knew my job would be this way. I never knew I would, I would, I would lose him or her so soon. I never knew that my parents wouldn't want me for some reason. And, and I never knew that I would hurt like this. I want you to know there is a person there with you. And behind it all, behind the biscuits, right, there is one whose finger is in it all. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. There's a person there, but there's a purpose there as well. What's the purpose? On behalf of you Gentiles. You know, often in our, in our suffering, in our trials, in our pain, there is a purpose that will not be accomplished without what we're going through. I mean, have you ever thought about that before? Paul says, hey, I'm in prison But don't be discouraged. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is his plan for me. Yes, I'm in prison, but but don't be discouraged by that. There's a purpose here. The purpose is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Where was Paul when he was in prison? Where would he stand trial? In Rome. Not Jerusalem where the religious people are, but in Rome. Who is he writing to here? The Ephesians. These are people who are far outside who've been brought near by the blood of Christ. There is a position, a purpose in this. But lastly, there's a position here. I love this word. There is a stewardship that Paul has been given. Look here in verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me. <clears throat> Excuse me, verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. There is a position in his pain. God has given him a literal trust over something that is working its way out through him being in prison. There's a position in it. I brought this today. This is my old nameplate. It was on my door at the sheriff's office uh, many years ago. Uh, I remember when they put it on there, um, and I was so proud, you know, that my name got to be on a nameplate. There's always something other people had, and I never had that. And I thought, wow, that's, that's nice, and I keep it in my office now uh, for when Kathy comes in and gets bossy, right? <laughs> I point over to the nameplate, Sergeant Vandegrift, and then I say, yes, ma'am, Kathy. As I, do, I may be a sergeant, but she's the captain around here. And so I, I keep that <clears throat> just, just for fun, really, but it reminds me today that the, in what you're going through, and you may not go with, be going through anything right now, but you will or you have, and many of you are, there is a position that the Lord Jesus has given to you in your pain. It's no accident. None of this is an accident. Not one bit of it is an accident. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is a position here where you might put on here stewardship or trust. That God has trusted you with something, and that is faithfulness and purpose and closeness to him, even in your pain. You've got a position in what you're going through today. Paul, should we be frightened, should we be scared that you're going through this hardship? Does it mean something for our salvation? Yeah, it does mean something. It means that you can take heart. I want to ask you this morning, how is your relationship to your suffering? What is your relationship to your suffering light. Praise God that when we feel weak and when we feel alone and when we're hurting, God does not abandon his children. Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? God does not abandon his children. I got a sweet note in the mail to the church from a dear lady who can't make it anymore. Her name is Jeanette Crocker. Many of you know her, sweet lady. I mean, a dear, sweet lady. Uh, one of those. I went to see her in the hospital recently, and she had had. A, she's, a, a, you know, very senior adult, and had lost her husband. Had a major surgery <clears throat> there in the hospital. I got to be in the recovery room right after she was out. She was still kind of under anesthesia, and as soon as she kind of fluttered her little eyes open, there she lay all frail and, and, and brittle and, and uh, affected by what she'd been through. She said, how are you, dear? <laughs> uh, and uh, a nurse came in, and the nurse started checking on her, and Jeanette wouldn't have any of it. She, she said, tell me about your family, honey, to that nurse. And I, I, I said, oh, Janette we're here. I want to pray for you today. She said, how is the church doing? It was all about somebody else. There she was. She ought to have been the the, the spotlight on her, the focus of all the attention and the pity and the victimhood. It all rightly should have been on her. But this dear Christian-hearted lady would not let it be. She was pointing to everybody else. And the note that I got in the mail was hardly legible because of the shakiness of her hand. I wish I could show you these precious little letters and words today that must have been written painstakingly with a a shaking hand to send to the church to bring a word of joy to you and me. We don't find that often, do we? I mean, this is a selfish, consumerist culture, and in some ways it has gotten into us just the same. But listen, in our pain, in Paul's situation, there was an unexpected power. There was the person of the Lord Jesus Christ behind it all. Uh, There's no accident. There's no listlessness God is there with you. There is a purpose. He has something for you to do, something for you to say, somewhere for you to grow, somewhere for you to to draw near to him. There is something he's doing, and he gives you a position of stewardship and of trust in this. Are you ready to find the Lord Jesus in your trial this morning? He is there. There's an unexpected power, but secondly, there's an unlikely choice in Paul's position an unlikely choice. Why did God choose Paul? Paul seems to not even know here. He, he, he goes to great lengths to emphasize the smallness, the leastness of his position. This is an in spite of moment. And he says it right here. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. This is God's grace. This is his power that made me a minister. Notice he doesn't use the word apostle here. He's not flexing muscle here. Uh, he, he's emphasizing servanthood. I was made a minister, and this was given to me, even though I'm the very least of all the saints. In the Corinthian letter, in, in verse, or chapter 15, he says this, I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am. What I am. I'm the least of all the apostles, not just because I don't have a gift for gab, but because I was the worst of sinners. I persecuted the church of God and still the grace of God has been given to me. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, and remember this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Here's the message here. If someone's saying, you know, can I believe on him for eternal life? Can I have salvation? We can we say, well, look at that guy. Paul can say, look at me. Look at how bad I look, I was the worst. Can you believe on Jesus Christ for salvation? Absolutely you can. If I can, anybody can. And he's so blown away by this And in verse 17 of the letter to Timothy, he, he finishes by saying, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. That is all that we can say. God did it. God did it and to him be the glory. This is an unlikely choice Paul should not have been chosen and he certainly wasn't chosen for what he had to offer he was chosen by God and it is the power of God that's working here my sweet grandmother Estelle Edith Estelle Ellis was her name I used to mow her yard she loved me I mean like a grandma's supposed to love I mean I could go on but she had a bank in her yard that led down to a, a drainage ditch that ran all through the town. And from time to time, I'd have to go down there and weed eat that, that ditch for her. She hated that ditch. Uh, and so I, I would weed eat it for her, and all the splatter of that drain water, that mud would come up on me. It would be hot summer days. And, you know, I'd been mowing most of the day <clears> at <throat> other people's places, and I'd come over to her house. And just by the time it was over, I was just filthy, just undone. And uh, Estelle, with her hair perfect and her makeup perfect, oil of olay, I mean, she, she, wanted, <laughs> she wanted things just right. Her yard, her little garden was like gar- Garden of the Month in her neighborhood. She was so proud. Uh, for Estelle, everything had to be just set just right. Her living room was full of crystal and a white couch. I've told you this before. That's the type of lady she was. But when I was done mowing her yard, <clears throat> she would come out there, and she wanted to kiss my nasty face. She wanted to hold it and just give me a kiss before I left. Disgusting. I was mean, covered with a day's worth of grass and leaves and sweat. And, it was, and, and she wanted to, even though I was soaked through, she wanted to give me a big old hug. Not one of these guys, you know how we do, but a big hug that lasted a long time. When I was done, she would follow me over to my car, and I would have to stand at the door and talk to her a little longer, As a teenager, I wanted to get out of there, right? But listen, kids, if I could do it again, I'd go stay as long as she wanted. Grandmas, keep doing that. I would stay there at the door, and she would talk to me, and I'd get in the car finally and get the door closed, and I'd have to roll the window down, say a few more words to Estelle, until finally she would lean in and give me another kiss on the cheek and leave. That's an in spite of moment. There was nothing, everything about me, not only was I unlovely, not, not only was I, I, I you know, unattractive at that moment, everything about me was repulsive. It, it, it was, it was a p- pushing away, right? And, and the Apostle Paul is saying here, God somehow in his love and his grace saw me when I was revolting in my sin. When I was detestable, in fact, when I saw Jesus and hated him and killed the people that followed him and persecuted the church of Christ. What did he do about it? He made me a minister. Like we read just a moment ago as we opened up from the prophet Ezekiel, he didn't deal with me according to my iniquities or my corrupt deeds. Do you struggle with your leastness in some way? you find yourself saying, I'm, I'm too old, or I'm too alone, I'm too poor? Everybody around, I think everybody has probably more than me, and I'm just, I'm too poor. I don't have a good personality. And listen, I don't. <laughs> you probably know that. Uh, but I, I, I don't have a good personality. And uh, God can't use me. God can't, I'm too just desperately soiled in my sin. Can God do anything? Listen, what a rest we can have that God loves us and he loves to bring his strength into weakness. He loves to transform dark and desperate circumstances by the infusion of his power. Yes, we're weak. Yes, Paul's in prison. Yes, all that may be true about you and me, But we have a Lord who is able to perfectly cleanse even the most deeply stained sinners. God does these things. He makes a pattern and a habit of it. In fact, there's great evidence in the Bible that he delights to do very special things through those who are desperately weak. Are you weak this morning? Gentiles, are you weak? Are you uncertain? Are you unsure? Is every step timid here? Then that's exactly the person that Jesus came to save and that God came to secure. We see that in this, in this text here. There's a picture of power here. But the third is this. We see the unveiled plan in Paul's message. There's an unveiled plan in Paul's message. This language about a mystery is strange to us. Paul wants the Gentiles to know that apart from God's revealing it to them, they would, ne- they would have no ability to perceive the gospel on their own. None. None. They would not be able to perceive it Uh, it was a mystery that had to be unveiled by God and the riches of Christ were what they were unsearchable they were imperceptible it reminds me um, of a story of a time when I was in law enforcement still and we had to search a a huge warehouse for somebody who had run off and we did that and there were uh, canines involved and sniffed through the whole place and we went through this whole warehouse looking for this guy and never found him. And we're gathered in a room together <clears throat> at the very end, just talking. And a couple of guys probably pulled out a pack of cigarettes and started smoking and just saying, you know, wonder where this guy went. And, and just kind of the, kind of the, the drawdown from the, from the search. The dogs were there panting and uh, laying on the ground. <clears throat> and as we've been there for several minutes, somebody said, hey, there he is. And we looked on a shelf, a big warehouse shelf, and he had climbed in there and was laying there right at eye level with us. I mean, uh, praise the Lord that he didn't have worse intent than he did or worse means uh, to do harm than he did. But he was literally right there. The dogs were there like, "Mm," you know, and just like none of us saw him. Our senses were there. Everything was intact. We had the, the best we could get. The canines were there with, with their super smells and they, all the magic they're supposed to be able to do. And even though he was right in front of our faces, we did not, could not see him there. And that's the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a mystery that is unveiled to our eyes by the Lord himself. Uh, this is a spiritual The message to the Gentiles here is don't rely on what is sure to disappoint. And that's yourself. Ourselves are sure to disappoint. But you can surely rely on what God has done. Is this salvation going to last? Well, who brought it to you? Did you find it? Did you search it out? The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who seeks after God. Did you seek it out and uh, excavate it somehow Or did the Lord unveil it? Was it a mystery to you before that somehow by his choice of grace, God opened up to your eyes? And if it was God who brought it to you, then it is God who will keep you for it. There is security in that. Time after time in this text, we see weakness after weakness after weakness. Paul's situation was one of imprisonment, weakness. Paul's position was chosen out of weakness. He was undesirable. He was awful. Weakness. Paul's message is one that they never could have received on their own. Weakness. It was all done by God. But lastly, we see the unseen realm in Paul's mission. The unseen realm in Paul's mission. In verse 10, he says something strange. The purpose for this... All of this is so that through the church, now that's powerful. This is the church, the church of God. If you think the church is dispensable, if you think that the church is, is, is something that is not important, it is through the church that God does his work. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, we've heard about these rulers and authorities before. In chapter 1 of this same letter, uh, he has seated Christ Jesus in the heavenly places and us with him. But he has seated Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. We've seen the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan mentioned in verse two or chapter 2. Following we, before Christ, we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then further on in Ephesians chapter 6, all from this same letter, we see a word here that really clears up who these authorities and <clears throat> rulers and powers are. It's a matter of spiritual combat. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the who the devil. Be ready. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm, right? And so this is not to say Uh, In verse 10 of our current chapter, that the church is to show the manifold wisdom of God and make them known to Vladimir Putin, right? Or Joe Biden uh, or or any other leader, the governor, Brian Kemp. Uh, That's not what's particularly in view here, although we are a witness to living to flesh and blood. But our purpose here, the purpose of God's grace through the church, is that we might demonstrate to Satan and to his e- demonic forces that there is a God in heaven and that he wins. Right? He has done something remarkable. He has taken lost and hopeless sinners and set their feet upon a rock. God has done it. This is a, a victory march before the terrifying forces of this world. You may remember, and forgive me for using this illustration. It's the best I could think of, but an old movie, Crocodile Dundee. Anybody, anybody remember Crocodile Dundee? Kids, I'm sorry. That's, a, that's like talking about Casablanca for my generation or something. But anyway, Crocodile Dundee. Mick Dundee was an Australian kind of outback rugged dude who made a trip to America and was in New York City and, he ended up being kind of a hapless guy, you know the story, Uh, just kind of a goofy guy with all his Australian country ways, and here he is in a big sophisticated city, and all the comedy that unfolds from that, but there's a famous, the most famous scene from that uh, movie, uh, is when he and his, his lady are walking through New York at night, and someone comes up to them, and pulls out a little switchblade, and says, give me your wallet, and uh, Crocodile Dundee. Mick looks at him for a second and perplexed and says, you call that a what? You call that a knife? And he pulls out this gigantic like saber sword, right? It's supposed to be a bowie knife from the Australian outback, but it's about this long and curved and fat at the end, right? He says, this is a knife, right? You've got it. I'm impressed. We got a young person that knows this uh, quote from Crocodile Dundee, and so Anyway, sorry, but here's the deal. Uh, Why are we here? Why are we weak? Why is God's power on such display when, when the world looks at us and says there's nothing special about them? They don't have the skills. They don't have the money. They don't have the personality. They are old. They are alone, but somehow God is working God is working through, uh, through us as the church. In fact, he has rescued, saved us, and promised us power and eternal life. It is on display for the rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm to look and say, listen, God's done something better. You may have your knife. You may win some, some victories. There may be some battles that the evil forces uh, win in our world. We may watch a a football game and see some first downs made and some passes connected by our enemy. But in the end, the victory belongs to Jesus. And as much as Jesus has been seated in the heavenly places, this very letter tells us that we also have been seated there with him. We are secure in Christ. In every part of this, our weakness turns into strength because of the Lord Jesus. And so I ask you today, who holds your life? Who holds your days? Uh, who gets the glory and the purpose and the position in your misery in the, when the worst comes, when the answers aren't clear? Who is that? Where does your certainty come from for all your tomorrows? If you need the courage to live your life for God, And to go with God no matter where he takes you. Listen, that only comes through Jesus Christ. And we can turn to him this morning. Let me pray for us. Just a moment, I'd like to offer you a chance to respond to God in some way. Maybe through the worship you heard this morning. I was touched by our worship today. Opening line of that last song said, there's nothing more for heaven now to give. He's given everything, he's given the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, if, if God gave us his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? There's nothing more for heaven now to give. I was touched by that. Maybe the word of God has spoken to you today. Or maybe you need to come for prayer for some other needs, for some other reason. Love to stand with you and pray with you or give you the privacy that you need. You're welcome to make your way to the front and pray here or pray right where you are. Maybe today you need to come for church membership or maybe you need to come and seek baptism. God's done a miracle in your life. The least of these, all of us, the least of these. But He has set our foot upon a rock and called us His sons and daughters. Maybe you need to go to those waters and say to Him, Okay, Lord, yes. Yes, I'm going to follow you. We'll help you with that this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the word of God and for trusting it to us. We pray, Lord, that it will have meant something to your people today. And we praise you today that it does not depend on our strength, that we have access to salvation through Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, through the mercy showered upon us who are not deserving. We have access to the power of God who stands with us in every trial and adversity, no matter what, and in fact is working something through it, Lord. We have access to the privilege, Lord, of calling you our Father and of knowing you on that basis and of you accepting us and embracing us in that way. Thank you, God. Thank you. May we be faithful to say yes when you say yes to listen to your voice, and to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, you're invited to respond.